LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Welcome back to part two. Uh, It sounds like you went in with your eyes open, uh, but what's the best thing that you implemented from the start? Yeah, I think um, I was... Um, I was really impacted as a young Christian by probably a doctrinally horrible book written by Paul Youngie Cho called The Praying Church or something like that. But um, I was captivated by this vision of how prayer births revival. And um, and so I wanted to implement a really embedded prayer culture to our church. And I think that's probably the thing that as I personally look back on, I feel most proud of is that um, we were a praying church. And so, you know, that looks like... Um, in the early days, we had two prayer meetings a week. So we would have a whole church prayer meeting on Sunday morning before the gathering, and we would have a Tuesday morning prayer meeting in the city. And um, and we prayed a lot. Um, and we, we've grown and, and adapted and changed over the years. But I think that's probably one thing that I was I was um, convinced that we needed from day one, was a, a deep abiding culture of prayer across our church. And, uh, and then the other one probably would be a commitment to team leadership. Too often church planning um, is about the man, the guy, the planter. The reality is it's not just about one. That's not even the biblical picture of church. It's a body. Mm. Um, And so I think my personal leadership preference style is a democratic team leadership style. And um, and I think that has been a massive – I didn't realize at the time just how I like to lead. Mm. But that that created a culture of empowerment that lifted people up and um, it meant that at least for a season, I wasn't the one point of failure to a church plan. Like I wasn't the reason that stuff wasn't growing because I was trying to do everything. Um, we'll probably reach that point later in our church life. But I think those are probably the two big things that um, I think we did well early on. Yeah, can I ask, what did that look like? Because uh, at the end of the day, you're still leading. Um, so like in a meeting, what does that look like, making decisions? Mm. Um, I don't think I've ever made a solo decision at Anchor. I don't think I've ever said, we're doing this because I've decided it. Mm. Um, so I've always invited other leaders into the decision-making process. Um, I think I, from day one, appointed executive leaders, senior leaders, we called them. I didn't call them pastors. I didn't call them staff. I didn't call them elders. I just called them senior leaders and led alongside those guys, tried to lead through them. Even though we're only a church of 40 people, it was, it was weird that you'd almost like, why do you need a team of four people to lead such a small church? But, um, and we ran staff meetings. You know, we, I'm, I made an intentional decision to run a staff meeting with volunteer leaders at a time that's totally inconvenient. It was like when everyone finished Bible college in the afternoon, late in the week, you'd never run a staff meeting like that now. But um, I was committed to leading with other people and and inviting them into the decision-making process. So, I, yeah, I, I don't think maybe my staff might <laughs> answer differently. But honestly, I don't think I've made a solo decision at, at Anchor where I'm like, this is what we're doing because I've decided we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for that, Matt. And we've asked that same question to Tim Clemens from Grace City, and here's what he said. When, when we began, I had a team of high-capacity volunteers, each of whom I gave specific areas of responsibility to. And so we as a church had five purpose areas, so it's pretty easy. I just kind of divided them up and then gave it to uh, each person 
Uh, I don't know if there were five necessarily, but there were a bunch of people. And then I sat down with them and then would meet with them for about an hour every fortnight or so to kind of see how things were going. It's also worth saying I was pretty directive uh, early on about what I wanted. Um, I don't think anyone would describe me as a micromanager, uh, but for each of those purpose areas, I really wrote down almost four or five pages just outlining the gist of what I was envisioning, what I was dreaming to sort of cast vision for them, and then uh, ask them to kind of work out the details of what that was going to look like at Grace City. So Matt, what inspired you to plant in the first place? Um, a book, a church planting book, inspired me to plant in the first place. But I think... Um, which, which book? Um, yeah. uh, it, was, it was actually Confessions of a Reformation Rev. Yeah. I, well, don't, <laughs> I, don't be apologetic. I, I feel like you can't say no, that No, you anymore. can. I think you can. There's <laughs> a whole bunch of people in that kind of yeah. vein who planted churches because of his yeah, yeah. It was, ministry. It was, it was big for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that first gave me the idea. But I'd, I'd been working in a church planting church and had been a part of a church plant already. It was, it was a catalyst for me. Um, but I think um, personally I was driven very much by a desire to see churches that would reach the lost. So like you mentioned, Scott, the, the 4.8 million people in Sydney who don't know Jesus is a particular personal burden for me. Mm. Um, we looked at... The stats um, and saw that you know over sixty percent of the church were over fifty-five years of age, and um, there's a missing demographic in church, and that was Gen Y. So Gen Y makes up twenty percent of the general population and eight percent of the church-going population. And I'd spent most of my time doing youth ministry, seventeen years of youth ministry before planting, and the people that we had been leading and felt called to were missing in the church, and. Um, yeah, so I was very much driven by a desire to plant a church that would reach the lost, young, emerging generations. And and they were all clumped in the inner west, inner city. So, that's I mean, that's a big part of why we are where we are. Can I ask on that, were you like un- undoubtedly sold out, this is exactly what I'm going to do, or were you nervous? Were you like 50-50, I want a church plant, 80-20? How confident was that decision? Uh, personally, very confident, and and they every assessment I did because I did I did too. They <laughs> they ask you um, what would you do if you said no. I was like I don't care. I'm still planning a church. <laughs> I was like now let me preface that I actually do care about what your opinion is. But um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like God actually gave me the gift of faith yeah. um, for, for church planting, um, and so I felt a deep sense of confidence and a deep trust in the transforming power of the gospel. Like it actually wasn't about me or us or the team or um, we believe that God has people in the city who are his and he wants to use his people to reach them. And so, yeah, I basically state uh, my confidence on, on Matthew 16, 18, that Jesus promises to build his church and we're going to get at it and do what we can to make a dent in the 4.8 million people who don't know Jesus. So. Oh, 5.2? Is it 5.2 now? 5.3? Yeah, those are odd stats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we heard from Tim on this same question, what inspired him to plant Grace City. Here's what Tim had to say. Some people fall in love with a people group and then decide, uh, I'm going to do whatever I can to reach this people group and planning a church might be one of the things. Uh, I actually fell in love with a strategy rather than a people. And so I fell in love with the strategy that was church planting uh, because uh, I more and more became convinced that 
it is uh, the greatest evangelistic strategy under heaven given to us. And so, um, yeah, I was convinced of that and wanted to be a part of that and thought, actually, I think uh, the more that I did some, um, spoke to others and did some assessments, okay, I'm gifted for this, excellent, uh, let's give myself to this uh, with a desire to see more and more people come to know Christ. Um, I'm, I'm interested to hear your wife's perspective. Like you, you were confident you were sold out, but was she? Not initially. It was, a, it was definitely a journey, I think. Um, she didn't even know what church planting was. So, I, you know, I'm talking about church planting, and she's like, what is this? this you know? and, and I think her only frame of reference for ministry was a Sandy Leah. I mean, we were at NBM. She saw Sandy. She's like, I can't do that. So she actually had um, no idea what it was and didn't necessarily want to be the kids' worker at the church. Mm. So it took her a bit of time. Um, and I think I had to wait really patiently for God to give her the same sense of call that he'd given me. And that took probably a couple of years, to be honest. So we attended a lot of church planning conferences, and I just put her next to other church planners' wives to help her realize that this is totally normal. They're normal people. They're not superheroes they're not crazy well they are a bit crazy but um yeah so she was on her own personal journey took some time for her, for her to get there but um you know when we planted she would have had as strong a conviction as i did to plant and i think the assessment really helps draw those those convictions out if they're not there it's pretty evident come a come a, an assessment so mm. um yeah and and recently i asked her what would you say um we, we were hanging out with a bunch of young prospective church plans you say to them and she said don't think about year one two and three think about year 10 think about the impact of this on your family um and she has um we made sacrifices to church plant and she has willingly done that but it's it's been tough it's been hard so mm. so knowing knowing that it's costly on the family what you know what advice do you have for prospective planners in terms of sort of you know, thinking into how they can love their family well, love their wife well. Yeah. Um, I, the first would be to lead with a team because if you try and do it all yourself, you're going to burn out. You'll have to work 80, 90 hours a week. And, and that's that's probably expected in your first couple of months of church planning. You have to work hard, long hours to start, but it's not sustainable long-term and, and it will crush your family. Um, so team, I think team leadership. Um we have worked really hard at um, putting pretty firm boundaries around my day off. And I, from day one, even when I was working super long hours, just did not work my day off um, and, and did stuff together on our day off. Um, was, that, was, was that a hard thing to do? You know, you struck, you struck me as someone who's, who's very driven. Um, I wasn't, no. <laughs> and I think, I think honestly because... Um, I'd led under Ray, who who just drummed it into us for years. Like Ten mm. years at NBM, Ray would ask me every catch-up, have you taken your day off? You know, no. So I, I learnt it. Um, and I think also, you know, I, I just tend to do what's in front of me. And so when I've got a day off and my wife's there, I want to hang out and do stuff. So I find it very easy to switch off. I don't, I don't struggle to get to Thursday afternoon and think, oh, man, I'm going to have to work. I just switch off, turn off. Enjoy Fridays. Oh, that's brilliant. Mm. If you had a 20-year-old guy in front of you at college thinking, maybe I'll plant, maybe I wouldn't, what would you say to them? Um, 
experience is probably the best thing that you can do. So I would say get yourself into a church plant, um, surf on a church planting team, be a part of it. Um, I would say don't get ahead of yourself, don't get ahead of God. Uh, be patient. You've probably got 10 years of ministry experience. Um, I, I was reading research that came out of um, a, a US network, so I don't know how transferable this, the stats are, but they said that most of their successful church planners had three criteria. Um, they were 30 years or older, that had a minimum of seven years ministry experience, and they had a theological qualification. And in my experience, as I've looked around, our city at least, and, and the guys who have planted alongside us, most of them have had a good 10 years ministry experience under their belt before they decided to church plant. So mm-hmm. I would say get in the mix, get up, get on a church planting team, get your hands dirty, surf, be there, do bump in, bump out, set up, do kids ministry, clean the toilets, whatever you need to do, um, but just get a part of it and, and get some real life experience in a church plant. Mm-hmm. Now you're seven years in, we've had a particularly rough year with COVID. Mm-hmm. You've still got energy for for church for, for growing the church for seeing the next stage. What's your you know what are your thoughts on the next five years and and where you want church to be and what are you doing now to sort of ready yourself for that? Yes, yeah, so we um, we're committed to a um, a vision of church planting churches. Um, so we'll plant our first one out next year um, and. We've been working over the last 18 months on a church planting residency. So we have committed um, financial support, a day a week of uh, a, a portfolio on our staff team to train church planters. Uh, so we've got two guys in our residency at the moment, um, and we're hoping that we'll keep funneling those guys through, training them up, sending them out. Um, so I think in the next you know, five years, we would love to be at three, four church plants. Um, we're hoping to build a family of churches who collaboratively work together to increase our momentum towards church planting. So you know, to pick up on uh, Jim Collins' metaphor of the flywheel, we just want to push as hard as we can for as long as we can on the church planting flywheel and hope that that momentum builds into some unstoppable church planting momentum in our city. Um, and I need to be patient for that because I think, man, seven years has been one plant. How, you know, how many will it be in the next five, 10, 15 mm. years? Um, yeah, so I, I think that's our commitment to be doing that. Um, and it takes resources and time and effort. It's taken my time as, as a leader to train prospective church planners. It's taken finances, which we've been setting aside since day one for this. Mm. Um, and then it takes the sacrifices of sending because, you know, when you send people, you weaken mm-hmm. the church that you're from. Um, and it's emotionally it's sacrificial. It's sad to say goodbye to people. So, um, But all of that is about applying pressure to the flywheel of, of churches, planting churches. What's the one thing you would say to people considering planting? I would say there's, um, there's not one way of doing it. I think most church planters go with a very preconceived idea of what they want their church plant to be and um, are often very closely married to their model instead of their mission. Um, so I would say be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Spend some time on the ground in the mission field. Learn the culture that you're planting in um, and then figure out from there what it's going to look like. Um, and I would say planting in a, you know, in a highly 
secular Western part of the city like um, Sydney or, or any of the major cities in Australia, um, I think it requires us to start thinking like a cross-cultural missionary, like a missiologist. Mm. So um, I would say learn how to do that. Um, spend some time understanding the culture that you're trying to plan into and then prayerfully figure out what, it's, what it looks like to be uh, a faith community in that context. Mm. So, man, how would you say that in one sentence? <laughs> <laughs> Pray and then plant. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> I think we should have both. We should we should include both. That was fun. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Uh, that was good. Scott, what is in the toolbox? Well, uh, I think the first thing, get assessed. Um, I think Matt's helpfully, you know, pushed into that and the importance of that. Uh, so find a church planning network and get assessed. Obviously you can check out Geneva Push at genevapush.com forward slash assess. Um, but find a network. Uh, second one uh, resource in there, we're going to give you the links to both Grace City and Anchor Church. I reckon it was really helpful for Matt to sort of talk about the fact that he got experience in a church plant and got experience in a church planting church. So I'd be checking out both their pages because I know both both churches want to see church plants happen across Sydney. Um, you know, click on their intern link uh, and go to their church and get it. You know, get involved. Um, the third the third one is. Find a church planting couple that's experienced and, and sit with them. Um, ask your questions. Uh, it was really helpful to hear Matt talk about how he, he brought his wife along uh, on the journey with him, but he was also patient with her as well. Um, so, so be patient. Uh, God is going to build his church. Uh, he, he, he gives us the privilege of working with him. Um, so, so take your time. Get a lot of those stories together so you can come in prepared for a church plant. Yeah, and, and fourth... Uh, yeah, read books on church planning. So, so Matt talked about confessions of a refer. What was it? Re- Reformation? <laughs> yeah, Re- Reformation Rev. Uh, I've you know find find Misho books. Um, you know, read stories of church planning as well. They're they're so encouraging. Shall we thank Matt? I think we should. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Matt, for coming in for sharing your wisdom and your insight as someone who was under you for a while and who also knows your boss, your previous boss. Um, yeah, I can testify that, uh, yeah, I have a lot of respect for you and you're a really great and godly man. So excited to see where Anchor goes. Yeah, great. You really, really appreciated you opening up about all the you know things you found helpful. It was great to hear from you. Can, hey, can we pray for you? I just feel like we need to pray for you um, uh, in this. We don't get off get a chance to pray. For, but you've got a big five years ahead of you. Mm. Um, and we need to pray for a building too, so let's, we okay. should do that. Heavenly Father, we um, yeah just pray for Matt and the anchor team. We ask, Lord God, that you might uh, work through them to see more churches planted across uh, Sydney. We pray particularly for their need for a building at the moment. We ask that you might uh, find them a space where they can meet up and continue to uh, reach out to the inner city uh, crowd of lost people. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you like what you heard on The One Thing, we'd appreciate it if you take a moment to rate the show on iTunes and even leave a comment. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The One Thing. I'm Scott Sanders. And I'm Madeline Galea. Chat soon. Chat soon. You take my line, you change g'day. You didn't speak. Seriously, I was, you know, just taking it all, Maddie.